Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, located in Eastern Europe with the capital city of Minsk, a population of 9 million, and functioning as a presidential democracy, though more accurately an autocratic dictatorship, is Belarus. On the 9th of August 2020, the first and still only president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, declared that he had won the latest presidential election with over 80% of the vote. Whilst the vote rigging that is widely believed to have taken place to ensure this margin of victory was to be expected, in what has become known as the last dictatorship of Europe, the massive street protests that it sparked were not. A struggling economy, a lack of response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and the continued trampling of democracy were enough to bring hundreds of thousands of protesters out in support of the opposition candidate, Svetlana Tekhanovskaya, who is widely believed to have won the election. However, protests were crushed. Ms. Tikhanovskaya has fled the country, a political dissident's plane was grounded, and Belarus remains under economic sanctions. But how did this country get into this place? And how does it actually function? In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of Belarus, I'm joined on the show by Dr. Jenny Mathers, Department of International Politics at the University of Aberystwyth, and the political analyst Sasha St. John Murphy, who, until recently, was actually based in Minsk. Hello to you both, and thanks for joining me today. Sasha, I might turn to you first. Could you just start by giving us a brief history of the country of Belarus? I can very much... I could very much have a go. I don't know how much how much detail you would like. Thanks. I'm really just after a top-line overview of the formation of the country to give our listeners some background. So Belarus first became independent in 1918. So quite a while ago then. But it was very brief. I think it only lasted around two years before it became part of the Soviet Union. Right, okay. And then it became independent again. Um, in 1991, following the the collapse of the Soviet Union. So it it depends who you speak to in Belarus when Belarus began. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, back in in 1918, and others will say, oh, you know, Belarus is is a brand new country. It's only a few years old. Right. So they've got this pretty intimate relationship with Russia then. Can you chat to that a little bit more, Jenny? Yeah. So if you go a bit further back in history, of course, um, the what is now Belarus uh, was part of the Russian Empire, um, you know, since the what 18th century, late 18th century. Um, and so there's a long tradition of a closeness between the societies. Um, and of course, the two languages are very similar to each other. They're not the same, but they're, they're very similar. They're both Slavic languages and, and you know, Slavic society. So there's a a lot of uh, common feeling, I guess you would say, between the, the two peoples. Yeah, right. Does that closeness still exist today then? Um, more recently, I think there's been, you know, since uh, independence in, in the early 90s, um, really throughout the 90s and 2000s, there's been um, a bit more of a push and pull between uh, Moscow and Minsk, depending upon the the uh, political flavor of the day and the feelings of the day. So at some times they really pulled together and, you know, the Belarus's president, Alexander Lukashenko has sought, you know, at times very close relationship with Russia, economically, politically, militarily. At other times he sought to distance the country a bit. 
uh, and and sought a, a bit more independence and, and looked a little bit more to the EU uh, and, and other parts of the world to try and you know increase those links. So it's been um, not a consistent picture, I would say, um, even over the past twenty years. It's it's been quite quite changeable. Interesting. So this relationship between the two countries has kind of ebbed and flowed. This seems to have been one of the ways the leader Lukashenko has maintained his power, leaning into whichever way the political winds are blowing with both Russia and the EU. Would you say that's fair to claim, Sasha? He's very good at being able to um, kind of play both sides off against each other almost, to be able to hold on to Belarus's sovereignty. Um, And I think that that's actually when you speak to people inside Belarus and they talk about why they still support him, that's one of the key reasons is that um, some Belarusians that I've spoken to, they very much see the sovereignty of Belarus is being protected by by one man, by, by Lukashenko. Um, and without him, that's at risk. Right. So in Belarus, there is even more focus placed on the leader than in many other countries. But how is it that this man came to be in this position? Could you explain this a bit, Jenny? So I'll, I'll have a go and then Sasha can kind of... <laughs> um, so Lukashenko has been um, the only president that Belarus has had since it's been independent. He uh, has had that post since 1994 and keeps getting re-elected um, through, very often though through rather uh, contentious elections, uh, disputed elections, shall we say. Um, so he's been this, this figure of stability, of continuity at the top of, of politics in Belarus um, you know, for as long as it has in- existed as a, as a sort of properly independent country. Um, and that's quite a powerful position um, in many ways. I mean, he um, has a background actually as uh, as leading a, a collective farm. He was he has a background in agriculture. Really, how does he go from there to leader of the country? You know, he's the sort of person who um, you know made those connections in his early adulthood. You know, with the ruling communist party and the ruling elites. You know, managed to get to to the top of the tree in, in the early mid nineteen nineties. Um, and has had the the connections and the ruthlessness really to, to stay there ever since. Interesting. So he's in a pretty senior position in Belarus under the Soviet Union. But when that collapses, he's in the right place at the right time to take advantage of this and actually wins the first free election in 1994. But then he starts to crush political opposition, take control of state media and state businesses, and has never really won a fair election since. Yeah, I think this, uh, just to kind of bring in a little bit of a comparative dimension, maybe, um, in some ways, he's a, a very good example of, of what an authoritarian leader needs to do in order to stay in power for a long period of time. So he needs to be, you know, seen as the only viable alternative, you know, the only possible leader that the country has. And, and you know, things might fall apart if he were, were not there. Um, be quite ruthless with opposition. Um, but at the same time, and until recently, until the last you know year or so, um, at the same time, be relatively um, benevolent in his relationship with society. So uh, you know to make it clear where the lines are drawn, but nevertheless to allow a certain degree of latitude in terms of people's everyday lives. Um, you know, not not bother them too much. And so that combination of the of the ruthlessness uh, for, uh, towards people who are definitely stepping over the line, but um, maybe a bit more conciliation towards uh, those who are willing to to live within the rules um, is kind of the recipe for success for a lot of authoritarian leaders. That's actually such an interesting way of looking at it. 
I suppose it takes a lot for someone to become Europe's last dictator. But given all of that, why are things slightly unravelling for him now? I mean, he's been in power for coming up on 30 years. What's changed? What changed? I mean, the, the most, the biggest thing was the pandemic um, in Belarus. It was absolutely wild to, to be inside Belarus where life continued without, I mean, it was completely normal. And you would read the news from the rest of the world and feel as though the world was somewhat you know, almost ending. It was very apocalyptic when you read the news. And then inside Belarus, there was total calm. There was it felt as though nothing changed on the state level and there was very little information to find out about the pandemic. That's almost so surreal to hear about. Which leads me to the next reason, which was that because there was such little information that was reliable, people turned to social media and to Telegram, which is a messaging app, which is where you could find information that was possibly not even more reliable, but it was just different to what the state was providing. So people latched onto it. Um, and this built this kind of online social network and these these forums and these chats that then developed into um, they developed into political arenas around the election and then they were what were driving people onto the streets as well. Right. So it's this combination of the pandemic and the new tools of social media that really accelerated the opposition movement to Lukashenko that has been slowly building. But he still remains the president for now, and although there is a parliament and judiciary that help implement and manage the laws, they are in the end kind of subservient to him. So does it appear that this system will be changing anytime soon? It's quite difficult in Belarus at the moment, especially in Minsk. The city feels... I mean, compared to a year ago, it doesn't. It just feels like a completely different place. A lot of the the hope has gone. A lot of the people who were on the streets are not just at home. A lot of people have actually left. So I've I've um, I've just left, and the first thing that I've noticed where I am is there on my street. Even there are three or four buildings with Belarus the white, red, right flags hanging outside because all of the opposition and the protesters. They've been left with little choice but to leave because if you stay, you face arrest. And the raids, they feel very indiscriminate in that you could have just attended a raid and they'll have got you, you know, they filmed them on cameras. And one year later, you'll get a knock on the door and that's it. And this is the fear that they've instilled in the population very effectively. Wow, that is really frightening. So it doesn't seem like there will be much change in Belarus for the time being. Thanks so much for bringing us fully up to date with the situation there. I was hoping if we could perhaps just move away from politics for a little bit to just discuss any events, holidays or occasions in Belarus, which are unique to the country. No, I'm just I'm just trying to think um, because when you mentioned fest holidays, I thought one of the most interesting things about Belarus is that they actually have three Independence Days that are celebrated. Interesting. But then it's also possibly not a, a, a positive note to finish on, and more of an, an interesting one. Um, I don't. I, for me, that's quite unusual. Again, it depends on um, your kind of political leaning. So they have, um, in July, July 3rd, they have kind of liberation from from the Nazi regime. So this is the one the authorities recognize. 
But then later on in July, the 27th, they have the 1990 Declaration of Sovereignty. And then in March, they have um, the Independence Day for the People's Republic back in 1918. So you have these kind of competing <laughs> Independence Days in Belarus, which I always find very interesting. <laughs> that is very unique. Are there any not around independence? Um, one of my favorite holidays in Belarus um, is Maslinitsa, which is very similar to, to Pancake Day in the UK, but it lasts a whole week. So you end up eating pancakes for an entire week. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Well, thanks so much to you both for your time today. <laughs> it was very nice to meet you. It was lovely to meet you both as well. I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Join us next week, where we'll be looking into the Central European country of Belgium that has a more complicated past and present than you might imagine. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Belarus or any other country. This podcast was produced by Stephen O'Shea and sound editing is by Ashley Brown. See you next time and remember to keep asking how my country works.